because that's the script that I'm following and I'm not creative to like change it in the middle unless someone else gives me a message and says, hey, uh, you should probably abort the mission and get out of there. Yeah, gotta add some if-then statements. I have a nested tree, get it? I'm a bird. Live from the Mundangerous Rookery in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 274 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human characters and talking about Kenku. But first, the party violates city noise ordinances in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Sombra turns out the lights in the Character Creation Forge. Hi, Autumn here. Being a teenager can be hard, especially when you're the new girl in school. That's why it's important to study up on the changes your body will be going through. Especially if those changes happen when a round pink alien turns you into magical girls. Even magical girls like us have to deal with mean teachers. Yeah, like those suspicious new male teachers and their boss, Misogyny. Even though Misogyny is super hot, she and the other teachers are evil aliens in disguise who torment students to feed off their emotions. But we're going to defeat them all with love and friendship. And terrifyingly powerful magic and maybe a knife yeah i'm gonna need you to roll for that oh shit (laughs) (laughs) find out who triumphs on the latest season of bits before crits magical girls versus the male gaze we are the magical girls and the male gaze believe in elevating women's voices so they're not on this ad check out bits before crits available anywhere you listen to podcasts bits before crits bits before crits see you there Are we talking about Kenku or are we squawking about Kenku? Uh, Neither. We're just uh, repeating noises that we've heard previously about Kenku. Okay, great. Where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? (laughs) So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Korth, the austere capital city of Karnath, the party is chasing a killer. So the party has tracked down Elaine, formerly a refugee that they saved on the Day of Mourning, but now a quarry mine seed imbued with terrible psychic power. And uh, our attempt at Sutterfuge has gone awry. (laughs) Hmm. Switch showed up in the form of one of the other refugees, knocked on Elaine's front door, and he reacted uh, poorly. (laughs) By poorly, we mean, just like Paul, psychic energy blooms from his temples to form a halo around his head. A Sybaris shard that they can now see embedded in his chest pulses with light, and a translucent image of a large, scorpion-like aberration swells from it to surround him, moving just as he moves. Vesicod recognizes that it is the form of a quarry. So reverting to her natural form, whatever that means, Switch stabs Elaine, <laughs> and he turns to iron and deflects her blade just as Pole had done previously. Warden then turns into a saber-toothed tiger, uh, exploring all the depths of the monster manual forms, to (laughs) grapple uh, Elaine. But Elaine simply punches him with his spectral form, then kicks the tiger into the wall of the apartment, leaving a crack in the stones. As he retreats deeper into the building. He dashes up a flight of stairs by the entrance and into a back room. 
But at Bramble's orders, everyone rushes in after him, except for Warden, who takes a position outside the front door. Inside, the entire top floor of the apartment is an arcane workshop. There are tables littered with tools and beakers and potions that are bubbling and automatons that seem to be self-propelled. And tall windows on three sides of this room overlook the streets 60 feet below. When Elaine sees the party enter, he remotely activates a panel, the front door to the apartment slams shut, and locks Warden out. Then a lab contraption swivels to point its switch before firing a bolt of lightning that scorches her as she barely dodges the full brush. Bramble decides to try to bewitch the glowing man, but his mind is too strong to control. Lenore then ducks behind uh, the doorframe, pulls out her brand new bow that she got from House Orion, and begins firing it. Elaine is able to deflect one of the missiles with a spectral arm, but another arrow just lodges right in his real torso, although it doesn't really seem to slow him down. Meanwhile, outside, Warden summons two bears to team up and smash down the front door. But with a clear shot now lined up, Elaine again triggers the arc projector and a massive lightning bolt shoots through most of the party, down the stairs, and out the front door. It burns both bears and singes Warden, and finally scores a deep, dark burn into the stone of the magical lift. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we continue our series on playing non-human characters. And we have gotten to uh, everybody's favorite non-human race, the Kenku. Uh Yep. (laughs) Definitely, if I were going to say, like, top, say, 10 non-human races that I would want to be the first to be worked upon in D&D 5th edition, I would put Kenku on that list, no doubt. When we come to D&D 6th edition, I want Kenku to be the first, and I want them in the PHP. And I don't even want it alphabetically. I just want Kenku at the top. I actually think you can get rid of every race that comes with a that starts with a letter before k because kenku should be the first thing that anybody sees in dnd in my homebrew the world is carried atop the back of a giant kenku and beneath <laughs> that kenku another kenku it's kenku all the way down my world is actually three kenku kenkus in a trench coat <laughs> they can mimic three times as many things at the same time all right aside from being fun to say what are kenku <laughs> they're ravenfolk They're short, squat, wingless humanoids who are covered in dark feathers. And, you know, depending on the game you're playing, the backstory's a little different, but often they're cursed by a forgotten god, and they live as thieves and rogues for hire. And they work in small Kenku networks in the criminal underworld, utilizing their special set of skills. Guess what those, uh, those small groups and networks are called? Please tell me they're murders. It's if only no. They're just flocks. They're flocks. Uh, flocks. Okay. <laughs> Stripped of their creativity, they are unable to come up with original ideas or even speak without mimicking another sound that they've previously heard. And of course, these restrictions can definitely cause some problems at the table. We'll talk more about those later. All right. So let's talk about some real history of the Kenku. Real history. Don't break my verisimilitude chain. Okay. So bird people have appeared in mythology throughout human history. The Kenku are likely inspired by Japanese Tengu, which are often depicted as humanoid birds. It's similar to the Kitsune, which are fox people and are popular for, you know, uh, other kinds of reasons that people like fox people. 
We're not here to yuck anybody's yums, but yeah. You know who you are. So Kenku first appeared in D&D in the Fiend Folio way back in first edition, and the background was similar to Mythological Roots. They're mischievous humanoid bird people with magical abilities. Now, in third edition D&D, that's when we start getting Kenku who look more like the modern versions that people are mostly playing. This gave them their cursed background. In this case, they made a deal with Pazuzu, and for some reason, it didn't go well. Can bird people even say the name Pazuzu? They used to be able to. Now they can't. Now they can only say it if they've heard someone else say Pazuzu. But, but can a bird beak like form the, the Z sound necessary to say Pazuzu? All right. Speaking of verisimilitude, there is nothing about... Uh, Kenku just having to like clap a beak, but also Toucan Sam speaks, and I don't understand how. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, just, he's canon, so. This also gave them their mimicry ability. The I think the first time it sort of shows up as like an actual stat block ability where they're able to perfectly repeat sounds that they've heard before. So then in fourth edition, we add the charisma bonus to Kenku, which makes them better at the bluff checks they need in order to fool people with mimicry. <laughs> Something they no longer have or need. Womp womp. That's me mimicking the sound of a sad trombone. Yeah. Pathfinder version of the Kenku is more like the original Tengu. Uh, they're sword masters, and they're actually pretty bad at sword fighting because they have a constitution penalty. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that to learn how to sword fight, you usually got to get hit with a sword once or twice. Yeah, and when you can only get hit once or twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Limits your practice time. You're never going to hit the requisite 5,000 hours of practice, you know? So 5e really flushed, the, flushed out the whole curse thing. It gives an explanation for it, although it doesn't, you know, really, really locked on all the canon, so you can sort of tweak it as you want. And then it adds the whole, like, in the rules, it stripped them of their creativity and their ability to come up with new ideas or to speak on their own. And kind of leaves that up to interpretation at the table. And it also gave them kind of a flight fetish. They can't fly anymore, and so now they're really into things that let them fly. So would you say that... Flight is one of their flights of fancy? I mean, I'll allow it. Sure, fine. Yeah. Okay, great. We'll, we'll call it that. Good. My Kenku one-man play is, of course, called Flights of Fancy. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's a nobleman. So, uh, given all of this, what are some reasons you would want to play a Kenku? Well, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of their stat block in a bit, but if you want to be a very good thief and a very good trickster, Kenku is a great race to play. They've got everything you need. They've got a dex bonus, and, you know... How many times do you want to make the the bird call to alert somebody that there's trouble or to like, you know, uh, I, I try to mimic the sound of the guard so his friend thinks that he's calling him or t- telling him something. Guess what? You can just do that. It's in your stat block. They're also great. Uh, not, not exclusively, but if you would like to blend into the background at the table, if you have self-identified as a casual gamer or maybe you're just showing up to D&D night until you play a different game, um, you know, playing a Kenku is a, is a good way to not have to be a super active participant. You kind of have it built right into your race that that's difficult for you. So you can just kind of be a more passive player if you play a Kenku. Yeah, I don't come up with any original strategy ideas at this table and someone else just yells tactics at me. And that's what I do. That's what I'm here for. And in the meantime, I'll just kind of be on my phone great option for like a uh for like a con game where you're signed up with a friend who really wants to play and you're like just i'll just be here for three and a half hours please yeah just just give me that i'll roll some dice and hit stuff cool exactly they're also good if you want an rp challenge um and multiple kinds of challenges right but 
the further away you get from, I guess what I call like mammalian and humanoid, the the harder it is to like really put yourself in the mindset of what it is like to be this particular character. Because at least I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are uh, both mammalian and humanoid. Uh, if you are not, please identify. Um, not for any like, you know, discrimination purposes, but just because we'd really like to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have research to con- conduct here. We don't run a circus in any way <laughs> whatsoever, but you could make a lot of money, okay? Um, I think a, a, the really compelling reason for a lot of people who like Kenku is that they want to find innovative ways to handle the language and creativity restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. So the rules state that, you know, canonically, you can't have newly created thoughts. So anytime that you as a player come up with a creative idea, that means you also probably need to specify where you first saw that idea and what the context was for how you're applying it today uh, that was so similar. Uh, that means you get to do a lot of like lore and background building uh, just over the course of the game. Almost everything you do comes with a little bit of a story. Yeah, you you need to make one up right then and there. If you're the kind of player who wants to like spin a little yarn about the time you heard this and what little NPC you know taught to you, this is the character to do it with. It also means that you've got to come up with creative ways to express yourself at the table. Uh, and in the game, you know, whether that's description or actually making noises. And, you know, we'll get into a lot more of that in a little bit. Then I think there's also uh, a really compelling story here for for some people about overcoming the stigma of the curse, right? Like Kenku are known as a cursed race. Therefore, um, there may be certain like expectations that are placed upon them uh, or, or prejudices that you want to defy or overcome. Yeah, no one's surprised when the paladin succeeds and, you know, brings glory to his nation. People tend to be a little more surprised when the Kenku does. Especially if he's part of a a murder of Kenku in the <laughs> underworld. <laughs> Look, that's on them. That's on them, okay? Somebody's somebody's gonna point out that ravens aren't crows, and I'm my mm-hmm. whole joke fails. Yep. No, I'm 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 glad you're leaning into it though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, cor- a corpse of corvids. A corpse of corvids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Kenku physiology. So you'll get plus two to dex and plus one to wisdom. You're nimble and perceptive, just like a bird. And I think a thing you can do here is how bird-like are you, right? Are you more like humanoid? Like you have hands and you have legs, even though you have, you know, talons on your feet. But do you like walk around like, uh, you know, a, a little, little goblin would or or like a, a dwarf or just like a, you know, a human because you're medium size? Uh, or Or do you sort of like strut a little bit like a bird? Do your, do your head movements like move back and forth quickly when you're looking at something? Do you turn your head uh, in, in the sort of like jerky motions like a pigeon might? I walk around proudly like Owl from Winnie the Pooh. I, I Okay. And you wear a little graduation cap even though... <laughs> uh, well, that's because I'm a professor. <laughs> it's, it's my uh, robes. I'm the owl that uh, licked the Tootsie Roll Pop. That oh. stole, the, stole it from that child. Yeah, we're going to figure out how many licks it takes, huh? Teach him a valuable lesson about not being a sucker. <laughs> is that the takeaway of those commercials? Yes, absolutely is. You idiot. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> exactly. All right, so you are size medium, which may be unexpected given how small uh, Kenku are generally depicted in stature, but that that means you're roughly the size of a dwarf, right? You don't have dark vision, and this is something to think about because your abilities 
and lore tends to push you into the thief role. And it is hard to be a thief who can't see in the dark, especially when like, what is it, eight, uh, uh, six out of the eight PHB races can see in the dark. So this is a disadvantage you're dealing with. You will also have training in two of the following four skills, uh, acrobatics, deception, stealth, or sleight of hand. Uh, so pick which makes the most sense for your personality, but obviously those are all useful uh, rogue skills. And then you get expert forgery. It says you can duplicate other creatures' handwriting and craftwork. You get advantage on checks made to produce forgeries or duplicates of existing items. There aren't really rules for that like the the gm just kind of sets a dc um xanathars has some some like suggested dcs for like forging a signature and and things like that but remember this just applies to anytime you're copying an existing object like if you also happen to be a, a conjurer or a transmuter or an illusionist and you were trying to make something look very realistic or you're trying to make something sound realistic or feel realistic or you know you <laughs> depending on how you you um interpret this like it it could be like taking inspiration from something and crafting it to look like it was made by a, a different person like there are there are a lot of ways to to tweak this because the language is so vague uh then we have sort of the foundational ability here mimicry uh you can mimic sounds you've heard including voices a creature that hears the sounds you make can tell their imitations of the successful wisdom insight check opposed by charisma deception the thing about this is in in the lore, like in the canonical lore written in the entry next to the stat block, it says that Kenku are capable of making perfect imitations of any sound that they have heard. So, you know, and, but here we get sort of like a, a skill test in, in order to see like if people can tell the difference. So I think in general what happens is, you know, when you're sort of like out of combat, you can just perfectly mimic anything you want like uh, i listened to the opera the other night and if around the campfire what i want to do is perform that entire opera with the entire orchestra uh, like a tape recorder basically in front of everybody else to entertain us i can just do that like there doesn't need to be a check involved it's only when i am trying to actively fool somebody that the game mechanics get lodged in there and then you get languages common and orin although you cannot speak them you can understand them and the only way that you can speak is with that mimicry which well, we'll get into that in a sec. Orin is not a language that most characters get. It can occasionally be useful. And I think you know, just remember that you have it, that you can understand the air elemental. Right. All right. So I think if you are looking for ways to handle the lack of creativity, there are a couple of things that you can do. I think the first one is just ignore it. Like you don't need to stick to the exact stat block, especially when it doesn't really have a mechanical effect in your game if you or the gm or the other people at the table don't want to right like a player who cannot be creative can get extremely bored especially after like several sessions of like playing within the newness of hey i can't be creative i don't know i just sort of follow instructions ha 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 and a month later you're like i'm i'm kind of done with this can we drop it you can also just follow the lead of another pc right so partner up with somebody let them make the the lead decisions and you just go go about executing uh, that way you can talk to that player about what your characters should do, but ultimately it's their character who is delivering sort of the intent. Yeah, this can be in-game a another character that your Kenku has fealty to, maybe, or who is being paid, or it can just be like you've developed a bond and like the warlord seems to be really good at telling people what to do and it seems to be really effective. So if I do that, hey, everything's great. Right. 
And then if you're a particular kind of player at a particular kind of table, you can do things like sort of like for yourself, write action scripts that your character would follow. And it isn't so much that like your character, like the in-game, the character is referring to these scripts. It's just like these are the things that they have practiced doing, right? So, all right, I'm a Kenku rogue. I'm going to break into a house. What I know is that the first thing I do is like walk around it twice. I case the joint, you know? Uh, then I go up to the back door and then I try my thieves tools. And then once I get inside, I go upstairs to the bedroom and look for jewels. However, there's not really, I don't really have a way to deviate from that, right? So if someone is following me and I'm pretty sure that they're they're going to spot that I am casing the joint, I still have to go around it twice. <laughs> Cause, cause, cause that's the script that I'm following and I'm not creative to like change it in the middle unless someone else gives me a message and says, Hey, uh, you should probably abort the mission and get out of there. Yeah. got to add some if then statements. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I have a nested tree. Get it? I'm a bird. So let's talk about some ways to handle mimicry. Uh, obviously the easiest way is to just ignore it, right? Uh, assume that you can mimic anything you need to on account of you've existed in the world long enough. You've heard lots of people speaking. Um, you can just go ahead and speak as needed. Yeah. Or, you know, forget the whole can only mimic things, right? Like, Hey, I have a cool mimicry ability, which doesn't really have a mechanical benefit. And I could just talk like a normal person. Like I'm a Tengu, not a Kenku, right? Right. You can also describe the sounds that you're making. Um, just like, you know, if you're playing a bard and you have like a, you know, a plus 20 performance bonus, it doesn't mean that you actually have to sing the song for the queen at the table in order for you to be able to do that in the game. Although, you know, if you can, awesome. Right. You just describe it. You don't have to sing the Monster Mash. You can just sing the song Monster Mash. Yeah, you can say, I sing the song Monster Mash. And everyone's like, yes. Well, but then you're singing a song about the Monster Mash, so... You know, you're going to confuse people. Yes, I'm already confused. <laughs> it's just like Tribute isn't the greatest song in the world. It's just a song about the greatest song in the world. <laughs> so you can just say things like, um, I make the sound of the guard that we met last week at the gate that this person probably knows because they share the same barracks. <laughs> right. Or, uh, you know, I don't uh, I can't I can't tell you that I've murdered the guard, but I can tell you the sound he made when I did it. Right. <laughs> Which is a death rattle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I make the sound of, you know, leaves rustling in the wind, right? You don't actually have to, like, you know, be a human soundboard and, and make those noises at the table. But you could be. You could, you could use be. a soundboard if you'd like. Uh, that might be a, a fun little technology challenge to kind of prepare some things that you make, uh, some, some sounds that you make regularly to communicate and, and leverage those. Personally, yeah. I would only use the horn from Drake's songs. Well, that's the only sound your Kenku would make. Exactly. Okay, but what cadence does that horn use? Ah, well, this time it's a cadence of, I just killed that guard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just with the soundboard, you know, you can have fun with it. Um, now that everyone's kind of like playing online, uh, it's a little easier to just, you know, have a soundboard up on your computer because no one's upset that like there's a computer at the table and, you know, just throw in a sound every once in a while just sort of for characterization. That can be fun. Yeah, But if it gets in the way of the gameplay, you're spending more time managing your soundboard than you are actually playing the game and you're slowing things down, then forget it. One thing I did in play-by-post, and this is probably the only kind of game that I would do this in, is I kept a log of every single thing my Kenku had heard. So, 
you know, people write these big posts about here's the thing that's happening. And then the GM responds, you know, over the course of days of, okay, and here's how they respond. And here's the the scene in the tavern or whatever. And I just had another little document and I was like, oh, okay. Sounds of uh, people in a tavern. Uh, sounds of a uh, guy getting stabbed through his armor. Okay. Uh, sounds of footsteps on broken glass. All right. You know, just, and it was just a, like a searchable database that I had of like cool sounds I could insert for my Kenku to say. Speaking of verisimilitude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also actually make the sounds of the table. Uh, probably be better if you're not in like a, a public place or like a convention where you might make a lot of noise. But, uh, you know, if you are, you know, uh, an accomplished beatboxer or Foley artist or maybe thespian and, and that's where you want to apply your craft, uh, absolutely go for it. And with all of these, just keep in mind the social contract. And mostly it will be like taking too much time or attention away at the table to like do your your like characterization thing that doesn't actually have like a mechanical effect on the game. You know, if people love it and it's hilarious and you want to do it, great. But just like if you're playing a bard and performing a song, if people are getting bored because you are actually performing every single song you play in battle to inspire them, like, please stop. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those things where do it every once in a while, right? Like maybe draw out that interaction of mimicry and everybody playing around and trying to interpret what you mean, right? That can be fun every once in a while. But if it's every time you try to communicate anything, it's going to grow tiresome pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Maybe the, here's the you haven't heard this noise before. I'm going to make a new kind of noise that I heard. All right. So in terms of physiology, right, you are avian, not mammalian. You are wingless, but you have you have arms and you have hands. There aren't any like wing stubs on your back. You don't have like the, you know, cartoon pigeon arms that also somehow function as hands. You got feathers. Do you shed those feathers? Do you use those feathers? Can you pluck them and use them as a quill? Do you stick them in your jaunty cap? I would use my own feathers. Fletching. I use them for fletching. Actually, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Your lifespan is unfortunately only 60 years. Think about that. You don't have a lot of time to get everything done. And it doesn't say anything about laying eggs, but I'm just going to assume that avian creatures are laying eggs. Why wouldn't you do that? And then also it doesn't say anything about this, but a lot of birds have sexual dimorphism where, you know, the coloring is different for males and females. That's something that you could introduce uh, in the game if you wanted to. The art doesn't really show it that way, but I sort of like the idea of all different kinds of plumage. It sort of makes it more fun. Yeah, or perhaps regional plumage, something like that. You know, a Mm -hmm. cold-weather kenku versus a a warm-weather kenku. All right, so kenku culture suffers from the typical monoculture syndrome that we get with lots of different NPC type races like all Kenku share this one culture and unfortunately that culture in the book is really not great like they're it's an entire race of street urchins yay yeah <laughs> so i think it's a lot more interesting to update your Kenku in game you know whether you're the, the person playing the Kenku or you're the GM of the game like maybe they have a reputation for thievery fine but maybe it's just a reputation right? It doesn't actually have to be true. And then you can do things like consider where that reputation came from, right? Is it just like pure fantasy racism? Or is it, you know, people's misunderstanding of like a a genuine raven-like attraction to, you know, shiny objects and, you know, I'm taking this thing to go build my nest because, you know, that's a thing that we do. We have to do it with found objects because, you know, that's just the way that this works for us and we're not stealing it we're just taking objects from places that have been lying around and that has been interpreted as stealing 
Kenku also uh, are characterized as living in close, tight-knit communities called flocks uh, that are led by the oldest and wisest Kenku, uh, who have the largest store of experiences on which to draw from. Uh, basically, you don't have creativity, right? So the, the people who have seen uh, the, the greatest amount of the world and have the biggest libraries of, you know, sounds and tactics and, and, and events are the ones who are most valued in their community. Yeah, and this is something to consider, like, if you actually do want to play up the whole, like, no creativity thing, is, like, if you're a Kenku who served the greatest tactician in history, you now have perfect recall of all of their tactics in every battle strategy. Right. Which means you can can now call on them to use. Because Kenku tend to live in these close, tight-knit groups. There is, in fact, honor among thieves. Uh, they tend to work for the uh, the good of the entire flock. And there's not a lot of canonical info about Kenku, so there's a lot of room for improvisation, uh, either as a player or as a GM. So be in dialogue about that, right? You're By playing Kenku, you're necessarily going to make up a lot of stuff about Kenku because there just isn't a lot of canon out there. For names... You can do a lot with these. Typically, Kenku have kind of two names. One is a sound, like an, an actual sound, you know, the, the sound of glass breaking or the, the sound of the, the north wind over a moor. And then they have a verbalization of that sound that, you know, people call you whisper or whatever, you know. And of course, since you often work as a rogue or, you know, since you might be infiltrating other societies or, you know, going on odd jobs, you might have an alias that people just call you or that you go by that doesn't really have a lot to do with your actual real name. Uh, nom de guerre, if you will. Yeah, I'll take it. Nom de plumage? Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. The The other thing, keep in mind, you have a fascination with flight, uh, culturally speaking. So the thing that you've lost or the thing that you cannot obtain, uh, where does that come from? How does that manifest for you personally? Is that something that you uh, are like kind of uh, bound by and, and, th- and that you lean into or is that something that you find odd that the rest of your community is such a fascination with something so trivial they will not get over these little beanie copters i don't, mm. I don't know it well that's why i you know i bought a bunch of them in um and <laughs> i'm selling them here <laughs> right and then in terms of religion again not a lot of information but consider in your game which god or demon or whatever was the one who originally cursed the Kenku. And, you know, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about people who worship them? I think it's also interesting to ask the question of, is that even true, right? Like, is that is that an explanation that came from Kenku to explain their condition? Is that something that was, like, heaped upon Kenku as a people by another religion um, that they've internalized? Or is that actually what happened? And there is, like, you know, maybe a, a, a plot for revenge or for atonement yeah and that's something that your character can discover if you know that interests you as a player maybe what you have been told or even what you believe is not true right so in terms of family ties again small tight groups but that means that eggs are probably going to be cared for by whomever is not out on a particular job at any given moment yeah and thievery is dangerous work sometimes uh thieves don't come home if they're caught so what happens if you know you leave eggs in the uh with the flock and you don't make it back what happens yeah. to those eggs? Or if you were one of those eggs, you know, were you cared for by others or were you basically abandoned and left to fend for yourself? Right. And then what's the succession after an old master dies? Um, it's 
of course, a tragedy because so much of that knowledge is lost. But, you know, how are you able to communicate that knowledge? Like, you have perfect mimicry. Does it count if an old master repeats all the sounds of a great battle? Um, and, like, takes time to explain to you, like, can you repeat an opera to another Kenku? And then that Kenku also has perfect recall of that opera? Or is something lost in the the bridge between two Kenku? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like being kind of bound by that tradition, obviously uh, ripe for a PC to try and upset it, right? To try to claim leadership of the flock uh, before it's, is it, he is necessary or he or she is necessarily um, claimed their or like earned their stripes, as it were, you know, um, proven that they are the most experienced or or wisest. It's got to be complicated for a flock to decide between like someone who actually has more experience and someone who's older, because typically the older one has more experience. And we are not creative enough to decide between the two. Maybe that just means it's a fight. Right. All right, let's talk about interactions that your Kenku PC might have with other people. So within your flock, consider where are you in the eh, pecking order? Ugh. And is that a thing that you can change or is that something that you're just stuck with? And then also consider what is your job? Uh, are you a thief? Are you sitting at home and taking care of the flock and raising the uh, hatchlings? Do you like your job? Is there room for advancement? What's your career path look like? With other Kenku who aren't necessarily in your flock, could they be from a rival flock? And, you know, how do you interact? Sometimes you hate people who are the most similar to you because you exist in the same niche. Or if you're dealing with Kenku adventurers or other Kenku adventurers, remember that you're very rare. So why is it that they're here? And what is it that they know or that they've experienced? And is it possible that the two of you can get together and share or swap those experiences or those sounds and now suddenly you have an entirely new roster? Then think about how you will interact with other races. Uh, I can imagine that one big one or one big sticking point for Kenku is going to be can they fly, either through natural or magical means? Those Aarakocra are so smug. Yeah, they don't know how good they got it. Yeah, Don't blame me. I'm just repeating the words of someone else saying that the Aarakocra are so smug. I don't necessarily feel that way. <laughs> it's just how I learned to say this. Uh, how do you feel about creative people? You know, a bard or a songwriter, uh, someone who can, you know, create new things. Are you jealous because you can't do it? Are you dismissive because you can't do it? Or is this someone who you really feel like you could learn from? And then how do you deal with and overcome the stereotype of having a bird brain? Um, you know, there are real limitations on your race physiologically. So how are you going to deal with that? And once you've already dealt with it, how do you deal with other people who don't know that you've been able to deal with it and overcome it? I also think we're you're in this space where you might have interesting interactions with actual birds. You know, like when you see another bird, a raven or, or whatever, do you feel a kinship to it? Or is it like a human looking at a monkey and you're like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like I can see some similarities, but like it's just a monkey. Um, alternatively, it might be a reminder of your past, right? Birds can still fly. It might their, their flight might be a constant reminder of the tragedy of your race's origin. That's why we've established the Kenku House of Ostrich. Okay. <laughs> House Emu will see you on the battlefield. <laughs> we'll we'll surf penguins into battle. <laughs> we destroyed House Dodo and we'll destroy you too. 
I've just decided my Kenku actually, yeah, will probably like want to learn water breathing and things like that because it's kind of like you're flying underwater if you're swimming. Exactly. Or space Kenku. I don't need to fly out here. <laughs> All right. Reasons for adventuring if you're a Kenku. First one, probably curiosity new sounds and experiences and it could be just for yourself you're so excited to learn and hear all these things but maybe it's to go back and teach it to your flock or to become the new master of your flock could be that your flock was wiped out uh maybe while you were out on a job or or something of that nature you come back and find that your flock has been destroyed uh now you don't have a flock and you're looking for something Uh, like you said you could have tried to usurp the old master of your flock or, or maybe you were just too a little too creative, right? The curse wasn't quite as strong in you, and you've been kicked out of your flock because you didn't quite fit in. You didn't want to do things the same way. I like that perhaps a weak Kenku bloodline is more creative. <laughs> I'm a half Kenku. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you're, you're on a religious quest uh, of some sort. You might be l- trying to learn the secret of flight so that you can uh, elevate all Kenku. Literally. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll levitate them, actually. That's that's what I'll do. Uh, it could also be that you are out here to find a way to undo the curse, not just for yourself, but for the entire race. You know, if someone can do it, someone can undo it. You know, the, the fighter over here wants to kill the gods. You know, I just want to meet the right one. Make a deal. So which classes make sense for Kenku? Rogue's the obvious one. You know, you got plus two decks. Um... And you've got a lot of abilities that fit with the things a rogue can do. But also you're good at pretty much anything that has that, that wants plus two decks. Monk is great because you also have that wisdom bonus. Ranger as well. Deck space fighter, all great. I think cleric and druid also make a lot of sense given that you are uh, plus one to wisdom. And those are not very common stat bonuses to find. So you're not really that far behind any, uh, any other race. Yeah, and if you want to be, you know... Uh, a holy man with uh, no creativity. I think that's just fine. <laughs> right. Sorcerer will give you a lot of different ways to get permanent flight. Uh, I think probably no less than three different subclasses end up being able to fly all the time. So that's definitely something you might want to consider if you want that to be part of your arc. Just got to get to level 14. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, if you want to do it a little earlier, though, you could do it with Artificer. Um this is kind of interesting, right? You get flying options, obviously. You can make yourself items that'll give you flight eventually. But you also get tool expertise, which is, I think, the only way that you can actually get expertise in a tool that isn't thieves' tools. And you can do it for the things like the forgery kit, if that's something that you're leaning into for your character. I also kind of like the idea that, like, I don't actually invent anything. I didn't make any of this stuff. Like, I have a book full of schema, and this tells me the object's to make but these are all things that i've seen someone else do in the past right so in combat uh of course you make the consummate rogue so you can hit hard and then uh disappear into the shadows uh hide behind something right you've got the skills uh for that range combat is also good with your dexterity and you know if you're gonna play kenku find ways to use your mimicry to your advantage is the enemy leader calling out orders and this is a thing that like you can proactively ask, right? Like normally in combat, there'll be a fight and, you know, at the table, we're talking about our strategy and then the GM is running everyone else and like they're just moving, right? But you can be like, how are they coordinating their tactics? Are they yelling back and forth to each other? Is the person who's obviously the leader barking out orders? 
great. That's the voice that I'm going to mimic. I'm going to like duck behind something, throw my voice and like give them different orders or like, you know, a previous order that was already said, but that now is tactically unfortunate. Uh, you can also just, you know, uh, make noises that are nonsensical or terrifying in their own right and try and distract them, right? Would the sound of the oncoming train distract your uh, your opponent? What about a uh, the roar of a large lion? Yeah, especially if, like, there are lions around here. <laughs> yeah, if you're in lion country. <laughs> That's why I'm hitting these two sticks together. <laughs> right. For skills, you know, all the ones that you have access to that you'll, you'll probably be good at, acrobatics stealth sleight of hand deception is one to consider here because your mimicry like the effectiveness of your mimicry depends on your deception but you don't get a charisma bonus and it's possible that you didn't take deception as one of your skills especially if you're not a rogue so it's really sort of an all or nothing thing decide if you're going to lean into it if you're going to have a decent charisma um if you're going to take uh deception and then use the mimicry a lot or you're going to have it more more of a ribbon ability where you can like make sounds but you're probably not gonna be able to fool a lot of people then in terms of magic items it seems a little on the nose here but peregrine mask uh winged boots obviously ways to grant flight but you've also got things like the broom of flying or a magic carpet that are also capable of giving you flight mm -hmm. potions of flight i think like a temporary item is a nice way to like experience it for the very first time mm-hmm that's that's got to be like Kenku drugs, right? Like, <laughs> like that's a that's V for for Kenku. And then I don't think there's a way to sort of overcome the the creativity or the the speaking limitation with a magic item just from the way that it's written. But you can consider things like telepathy because there's no restriction on being able to think a thought to somebody else and have it come out just the way that you want. You can also, if you can get your hands on an intelligent item that can speak either out loud or through telepathy, you usually communicate with them telepathically and it, assuming that you're allies, can then use words to tell people other things. I love the idea of like a, uh, you know, a, a benevolent soul tr that's been punished by being trapped in a weapon. Uh, so the Kenku doesn't use it, but the Kenku is working in tandem with this, like, uh, you, you know, representation of its, like, best intentions, right, um, through the item so that you can still have a creative play experience as a, as a, as a player uh, by kind of role-playing both the item and the Kenku uh, carrying out those um, plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a familiar might work here. I mean, if we had like a, a parrot type familiar, like one the one that could that could speak, or like a book imp or something like that. Although you probably wouldn't trust the imp. Uh, uh, no, pseudo dragons pseudo -dragon. can't speak. Oh, sprite, yeah. a sprite would probably <laughs> screw with you still. Actually, yeah, actually, there's no good <laughs> options here. <laughs> <laughs> but there are fun options. Well, pseudo dragons are telepathic, at least. Oh yeah, that's true. You're right, and you know they can uh, scratch things out. Right, and they're adorable. Who doesn't love them? All right. So if you have not played a Kenku, it can be an interesting and fun, if maybe challenging exercise. I think just keep in mind that there are limitations that you are free to ignore, but that if you are going to lean into them, make sure that you're doing it in a way that is going to make it fun for you, but also you know manageable at the table for everybody else. Yeah, I think I would personally kind of struggle to play a Kenku long term. Um, 
just dealing with the friction of of those limitations would probably grate on my nerves but i would absolutely be down for a uh, a one shot or kind of a short campaign an all kenku party for a one shot that sounds miserable <laughs> what if we were all drinking a lot uh oh well then it would be as directionless as our normal game there you go i make the sound of your mom yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, it's also the sound of three of our moms, so learn how <laughs> eggs work. <laughs> it's called a clutch. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Yes, but what I want to know is how did I hear our mom in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> You're the oldest, Ishan. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Monangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. All right, so we have finally come to it, Shane. The end. The end of Overwatch-tober. It's been a long one. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Today, we are building Sombra, the rogue hacker who shuts down enemy abilities, teleports instantly through her translocator, cloaks herself with invisibility, and uh, as her ultimate, sets off a massive EMP. And is also a Kenku. <laughs> no. No? Okay. <laughs> her hacks uh, are a combination. Uh, in, in Overwatch, right, her hacks shut down the use of all abilities. So you can only move, jump, uh, and fire your like primary weapon. Uh, you can't use any of your activated abilities. So uh, in our representation, her hacks will be a combination of stuns, paralyzes, charms, and dominates. Uh, she basically, she is there. Her, her role is to sow confusion, to, uh, hamper key members of the other team so that you can pounce upon them. All right. So what is the build? The build is Archfey Warlock 17, War Wizard 3. I like almost any War Wizard dip because I just find it really fun for not a lot of investment. So you'll get second level spells, including Hold Person which I guess is one of these hacks. That's one of your hacks. Nice. You'll get Arcane Deflection, which as a reaction, you can give yourself plus two to AC or plus four to a saving throw, and you're only going to do it when it counts. Uh, You'll also get Tactical Wit, which allows you to add your intelligence modifier to initiative. I like this because, you know, when you play Sombra, like her role is to always kind of be in the back line, right? Like lurking around where enemies don't expect her. So she gets into position faster by going first. And then from Archfey Warlock, you'll end up with ninth level Warlock spells. I think this might be the longest we've ever taken Warlock. Yeah, I mean, 14 is usually the highest that we'll end up going. 
Uh, well, what do we get from it? Yeah, so for our troubles, we'll get hold person, hold monster. We'll get uh, invisibility early on. We'll later take an invocation to get that for free. Uh, we get greater invisibility and the seeming spell, both through Archfey. Uh, now, seeming is not something that you would normally think of as a warlock spell, but uh, consider that like the whole thing with Sombra is confusion and miscommunication, right? So putting all of your enemies in a seeming uh, will confuse them as to what is even going on around them. It's not that they can't use their abilities, it's that they can't use them effectively. And I see that as a capstone here, we have the ninth level spell, Psychic Scream, which I both love and absolutely detest. Uh, yeah, so this is an intelligence save that deals, I, th I think, 14d8 damage. Uh, the damage is not why you're here. The stun is why you're here for up to 10 creatures on a fail. Uh, they get to repeat the save every round, but uh, spoiler, intelligence saves aren't so popular in the Monster Manual. Yeah, and there are a lot of creatures that are just never going to be able to save, so they're just straight up stunned for 10 rounds. Yeah, uh, anything that isn't going to be pretty close to, like, because at this point, right, your bonus, uh, when you start stacking Warlock items, like, your your difficulty is well over 20, so if you don't have proficiency, it's very unlikely that a, a monster is going to be able to even make this save without either burning legendary saves or, uh, you know, some type of shenanigan. And if you're facing 10 creatures that all have legendary saves, leave. Mm, indeed. <laughs> uh, but from level one, uh, we'll get Fey Presence, which uh, is your first little bit of misdirection. As a 10-foot cube, you can uh, charm or frighten creatures uh, once per short rest. And then from your pact, you can what, do whatever you want, really. It doesn't really matter here. Yeah, we're not dependent on our pact at all. Uh, in fact, we're not even taking invocations tied to pact necessarily. So really go for whatever interests you. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, pact of the tome probably makes the most sense because a lot of those rituals can be considered, you know, kind of sombra hacks, right? Just sort of her doing her hacker job, not her combat hacker job. And who doesn't love your selection of, uh, of cantrips from any class? Right. At six, you get Misty Escape. Once per short rest, when you take damage, you turn invisible and teleport 60 feet as a reaction. This is literally her translocator. <laughs> get out of the fight as soon as you get hit. That's how Sombra works. <laughs> um, then at level 10, you'll get Beguiling Defenses. This makes you immune to charm, uh, and you can force a wisdom saving throw on anyone who attempts to charm you. Uh, and if they fail, they will be charmed by you instead. Uh, turnabout is fair play for the old hacker. And then your capstone ability here is Dark Delirium. It's an action to charm or frighten a creature, sending their mind into an illusory realm for up to a minute uh, or until your concentration breaks. Or until it takes damage. <laughs> so it's a little goofy, but you could use that once per short rest. Now, uh, by taking uh, Warlock this far, we actually get seven Eldritch Invocations, which is a lot. Yeah, it's rare that you have enough slots for invocations to take all the stuff that you want because there are always so many good invocations. I mean, we're going to take Agonizing Blast, obviously. Yeah. To do charisma damage to, to each bolt. Right. And then you'll also take uh, one of the uh, crowd control um, invocations for your Eldritch Blast. So Lance of Lethargy is the one that I like a lot because it uh, reduces movement speed by 10 feet. So uh, if you hit somebody three times, they have no movement. They're stuck in place for that round. It's, it's actually limited to once per round. Well, if you hit three creatures. 
I, I would take either uh, Grasp of Hadar or Repelling Blast, depending on where you think you'll be positioned on the battlefield uh, as you as you move about uh, to either pull or push people. You can also take Lance of Lethargy to reduce the target's movement speed by 10 feet, making it harder for them to uh, engage. So depending on the kind of game that you're playing and what enemies you're facing, Chains of Carceri can be good. Once per long rest, you just cast Hold Monster against a Celestial fiend or elemental so if you're facing those kinds of creatures it can be a nice free spell yeah, high level spell too free fifth level spell uh you can also take maddening hex uh, as a bonus action uh, you can deal charisma modifier uh bonus damage uh to your hex target uh, as well as creatures of your choice within five feet of your target. Now, this is not strictly an ability that Sombra has, but this is how I feel every time I have to play in a game with her. <laughs> so uh, it certainly hurts my mental. <laughs> it probably hurts those on the battlefield as well. And just in general for Warlocks, I love all the sight invocations. You got Devil's Sight so you can see through magical and non-magical darkness. Eldritch Sight, with, which lets you cast Detect Magic at will. Uh, ghostly sight ghost i don't remember ghostly whatever which gives you x-ray vision for a little while and which sight which just straight up lets you see the true forms of shape changers and automatically see through illusions of which most uh invisibility is an illusion (laughs) uh so yeah i mean those are great i think those also reflect all of her kind of like hacker gear um sort of abilities detecting others uh and then we have uh as a capstone shroud of shadow uh which at level 15 um will let you cast invisibility at will, which is actually Sombra's ability. She could just go invisible, and then as soon as she attacks, uh, she shows up again. So literally, she has invisibility cast on her at will in Overwatch. I like that this build has like three capstones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but she is, you know, we, we hit a lot of abilities for Sombra in this one. Um, her main weapon is also like a, an SMG that's very good at close range, so I didn't want to take Eldritch Spear. <laughs> Uh, and so, Ishan, I think that wraps up Overwatch-tober. That's too bad. That means we're going to have to start making these again. Yeah, uh, too bad for you. Very thankful for me. Uh, I think this this actually very well might be the end of Overwatch-tober, period. Uh, we're running out of characters after four years. They don't produce them fast enough, and I'm getting tired of trying to squeeze these odd boys in. So um, I, I think we might have to find a new theme month. But come on to Discord and tell us uh, which one would be interesting. Yeah. So before we wrap up, uh, let's take a moment and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Another great way to support the show is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, we will read your five-star review on the air. Just like this one, which is Can't Miss Podcast, Five Stars by D. Hendy. TPT is one of those podcasts I look forward to each week. From the campaign stories, helpful main topics, and the character creation forge, this dynamic duo delivers. My favorite episode? Episode 15, with a character built from the song Devil in Me by Halsey. Honestly, every character built each episode tells the story of a hero from levels 1 to 20. I've also used one of their builds, the Vampire Hunter, in a solo campaign and look forward to more. Congrats on five years and looking forward to another. All right, we have been doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But thanks so much for that, D. Handy. I'm I'm glad. I like to hear stories about people who actually use builds from the forge because you know we're we are not playing every single one of these. We're just sort of leaning on a lot of five E experience to build something that hopefully is fun to play. So, what do we have planned for next week's episode? 
We are doing it one more time. It is a plot hooks episode. And in the character creation forge? We're building Undeath Metal, the heavy metal necromancer. Well, that's it for episode 274 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.